It is Wednesday, April 20th. Welcome back to Pro Football Network's premier fantasy football podcast. I'm your host, BJ Rodell. With me, as always, is PFN fantasy analyst Jason Katz, better known as Katz. We're going to talk about some uh, interesting wide receivers today, leading off with Debo Samuel, who's in the news, uh, demanding a trade from the Niners. Just a, a quick thought on, on wide receivers. What makes them every position is unique in fantasy, as we know. Uh, they all have their strengths and weaknesses. Uh, I've compared it uh, uh, in social media to the uh, um, uh, old arcade game. For those who remember the 80s arcade game Gauntlet, where you had a, uh, I think it was a wizard and a, and a Valkyrie, whatever the Valkyrie thing was, and an elf. I forgot what. But they all had their different strengths and weaknesses. And that's why in a draft, you don't always know, you know, we always take running backs first, but there's good cases to be made for taking an elite wide receiver like a Debo Samuel. And sometimes you reach a little bit early for Josh Allen. If you know that Josh Allen's going to get you 400 plus points automatic this season, how many of you would just take the 400 plus points? I, I think most people would uh, when it comes right down to it. Debo Samuel is a really interesting case because he is such an exceptional, versatile player. He is young, he's pre-prime, and the sky seems to be the limit. And now he's demanding a trade. And that suddenly creates this question of, oh my gosh, if he gets traded, what does that do? Do maybe it could. So I'm going to throw it to you, cats, to get started. What are your thoughts, first of all, of Debo leaving? Should that concern dynasty managers who have Debo, or is there an opportunity here? I think there's definitely some concern. It's more because of the reason he wants to leave. Initially, this was reported as a contract dispute. Of course, Debo wants his money, and he should get paid. I want all these players to get paid. They're putting their bodies on the line for our entertainment. They deserve every dollar they can get. So nothing against Debo from that regard. However, we saw a report today from Ian Rappaport that the issue that Debo has with the 49ers is not related to money. It has to do with his usage. My concern is that he doesn't want to be used as a running back anymore because he doesn't want to take those extra hits. Uh, this is purely speculation. There's no actual report. I'm just trying to read the tea leaves here in terms of what Debo could possibly be upset about as it pertains to his usage. Last season, Debo, incredible. 21.2 fantasy points per game, the third highest scoring wide receiver. Uh, but he scored a pretty substantial amount of points on the ground. Uh, Debo was getting at one point six to seven carries per game. After week 10 or beginning in week 10, Debo Samuel never had fewer than five carries in a game. And he actually kind of stopped having value as a receiver, but was getting it all done as a runner. He scored a rushing touchdown in six of his final eight games of the regular season. Without the rushing numbers, his receiving numbers were, were not enough to produce the wide receiver one we've been getting all season. So if Debo goes somewhere else and he tells that team, hey, I don't really want to be used as a running back, and he goes back to where he's getting maybe one to two carries a game, uh, of course, targets more valuable than rushes. If, he, if he's getting eight to ten targets a game, then we don't really care. But if he's not, there's definitely some concern there that his value could go down. You hit it on the head. I really like that analysis because I think we tend to fall in love sometimes with stats as a whole. 
instead of breaking down um, the, the potential for those stats to be replicated. It's the same issue if, you know, if a receiver gets 900 yards and 13 touchdowns, um, what's more likely to happen again, the 900 yards or the 13 touchdowns, probably the 900 yards. Um, and so, you know, with, with some exceptions, uh, but the point is you, you bet more on the yardage and within the case of a receiver, especially someone as you've shared, um, uh, is more concerned about, you know, getting overused with carries. That is a deep concern. If suddenly he is more of a traditional receiver, is he going to get the 130, 140 targets, whether on the Niners or on another team, needed to be, you know, on the whole, an elite player? And keep it in mind, uh, he only had 25 rushing attempts in college. This was not someone who I think people pegged as a dual threat the way he's been he was used specifically last year. So it was really kind of a revelation, but I think it's fair to wonder, did we just see the best fantasy output of Debo's career if he becomes more of a traditional receiver going into next season? And Katz, are, are, in addition to what I just said, are there? can you think of any teams where he could be immensely valuable um, as a number one? You know, I'm thinking, you know, maybe Houston – uh, could carve out a, a a true number one role, although it's uh, it remains to be seen whether or not Davis Mills can feed him and Brandon Cook simultaneously. Are there any teams out there that you think he would instantly become that kind of potential 1,100, 1,200 yard, 10 touchdown guy? My first thought would have to be the Kansas City Chiefs. They just lost Tyreek Hill. They didn't want to trade Tyreek Hill. It just didn't work out, and and they they had no choice. Why not replace Tyreek Hill with someone that they can use? Now, again, I don't want to compare anyone to Tyreek Hill because I do not believe there is any player in the NFL or has or has been any player in the past like Tyreek Hill. But Debo is that dual threat guy that can you can use him in the in the backfield, put him in motion, line him up all over the formation. Andy Reid could use Debo Samuel like he used Tyreek Hill. And they still very much need a wide receiver one because Marquez Valdez-Scantling is not the answer. And Juju Smith-Schuster is rightfully a very solid wide receiver two that should not be playing the wide receiver one role. This is a team that needs a wide receiver, that needs another offensive weapon, an elite offensive weapon besides Travis Kelsey, and it could be Debo Samuel. So the Chiefs are one option. Another possibility, perhaps the Arizona Cardinals? Uh, this one, I mean, again, we're purely speculating here. I have no inside information on any rumors or anywhere that Debo might go. We're just thinking of places where Debo's fantasy value could stay at a similar level, maybe drop only a little bit or, or maybe go up a bit. Who knows? Arizona also certainly could use a wide receiver. They brought back A.J. Green. They've got DeAndre Hopkins, but he couldn't stay healthy last year, 30 years old. Who knows what we're going to get with him this year? They lost Christian Kirk. They lost Chase Edmonds. Debo Samuel could fill in uh, that kind of a backfield role as well that Edmonds uh, that Edmonds did. So there, there's a lot of places that Debo Samuel would work well. Uh, but I think Kansas City and Arizona would be great from a fantasy perspective. Will it happen? We don't know yet. And one more thought on Debo. Uh, he did, and, and in fairness, he did get over 1,400 receiving yards last year. And I don't want anyone to think that 1,210 is some, you know, long shot. He did, a, he did a lot of damage. He had nine plays, I think, with 40-plus yards. Um, he was, um, 
uh, an except, you know, you take it, you, you uh, add in the fact that, uh, you know, Kittle had trouble staying healthy. Uh, and even when he was healthy, had huge games, but was also uh, pushed way to the sideline. Brandon Ayuk did not. He, he probably took a step back uh, in general. Um, really, it was the Debo show. Debo and, and Elijah Mitchell were primarily the offense most weeks and then the occasional Kittle blow up and the occasional Ayuk nice game. But essentially, Debo is the clear cut number one. So if you're if Debo's going to another team, he has to have that same kind of clear-cut number one status. And keep in mind also that some of the teams that he played last year, and the, so much of his value could hinge on what division is he going to go into? What kind of defenses is he going to face? He faced last year, he faced the Jags. You know, he faced the Lions. Um, you know, he faced Seattle, which was, you know, twice. Uh, uh, what The worst Seattle defense, you know, in, in 15 or so years. Uh, he faced Atlanta. He faced Houston. I uh, faced Minnesota. These were teams that he could beat up on. And a big question that I'm going to have is, as we're bracing to see, do the Niners re-up or do they keep him as a disgruntled receiver for one more year or do they try to trade him and get something for him? Where he where he plays starting in 2023, not to mention this coming year, um, that strength of schedule, that strength of division, where are you getting four to six tougher games relative to what you've got in San Francisco? Um, that's going to be a big question for me going into these next couple of seasons. Um, let's shift gears, uh, Cats, to Kadarius Tony, who is uh, not showing up for uh, voluntary uh, uh, pre-camp, and it is voluntary for a reason. You know, it's uh, it's one of those things where if you're uh, if you work at an organization where they have a you know, a, a, a Monday morning voluntary uh, coffee where people get together. You know, sometimes you get together with folks, but the people who don't show up, I don't know if you're if you're like, well, why aren't they here? Well, it's voluntary, right? You don't have to do it. But Kadarius Tony, injury riddled last year. He's going into his uh, second campaign on a team that desperately needs him and Kenny Galladay to step up. And he's a no-show. Uh, and that is a concern. If you are a Tony investor, you want your guy to be there trying to be the number one receiver on that team. Because if you're the number two receiver on the Giants with Daniel Jones throwing to you, I hate to say it, you know, Tony might not be draftable right off the bat. If he's an 800 yard, six touchdown guy as the number two receiver in a bad passing attack, that's not very hopeful. So throwing it to you, Katz, Kadarius, Tony, how concerned should people be at this point? Or is it way too early for people to be concerned about a voluntary set of workouts? I don't want to make too much of not attending voluntary workouts, but it's more of the overall picture with Kadarius, Tony. This is a, this was a college player that essentially only had one year of production. He broke out in his final uh, collegiate season at age 22. That's already puts him behind the eight ball in terms of prospects that are likely to succeed at the NFL level. And this is someone who already had some off the field issues. In 2018, Tony was among seven Florida players suspended for not living up to the Gator standard, whatever that means. He also was stopped by a Gainesville police department and found to be in possession of an AR-15. And he also is apparently a rapper that goes by the name Young Joker. Uh, so these are just these are just 
things on Kadarius Tony's profile that we would rather not be there. And now we have this thing where he's not showing up for voluntary workouts. I understand they're voluntary and he's not getting paid any extra to show up for them. At the same time, he's in his second NFL season. And as a rookie, he did not meet the production threshold that we want to see from receivers that likely go on to have very successful careers. We typically need to see a rookie receiver eclipse 500 receiving yards, give or take a few. He only put up 420 as a rookie. Now, I understand he was injured, but this threshold, it, it, it takes into account all of that. It, it, the injury matters. And one of the bigger problems with Tony as a rookie was the injuries. It wasn't just one. Kadarius Tony missed seven games. He missed time, either either in-game or an entire game, with five separate issues in just one season. He had an oblique strain, a hand injury, a quad injury, a sprained ankle, and COVID. That is a lot for one year. All I'm saying is Tony's on a bad team in his second season, and we already have a, a lot piling up against him that at least should concern fantasy managers, especially those in dynasty leagues. Uh, so uh, um, there's definitely reason to be a little worried with Tony heading into 2022. Um, all good analysis. Uh, uh, and one uh, pivot a little bit, you talked about his, uh, his rap career. And I'm more concerned about Kyler Murray's potential interest in playing baseball someday uh, in the major leagues than I am about Kadarius Tony, there he was quoted as saying uh, last year that rap for him is something he does. He said it it gave me something to do outside of football instead of going to the club. It's really a balance. And the question is, if this really helps center him, if this really helps him, uh, you know, do something different away from football where he can uh, uh, be in an environment where he can kind of shut down, do something else, and then come back to football, then it's helpful. If it becomes a distraction, that's when it becomes a problem. And and I, it's easier to be a rapper and an NFL player than it is to be a major league baseball player and an NFL player. I don't mean to equate the two. You know, I don't. It's it's apples to oranges. But I think I think Kadarius Tony, the issues as you pointed out, really come down to he has a lot of yellow flags. And when a team is desperate in the draft and they're kind of. Uh, 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 they need a lot of help. Sometimes they go with the flashiest, shiniest object. And Kadarius Tony is a great receiver or showed that he could be a great receiver his senior year at Florida. And so he was a shiny object. Instantly, the Giants now have, you know, a, a great tandem at receiver plus Sterling Shepard, whatever he can do, plus Evan Engram. And, oh, look, we're giving Daniel Jones everything he needs to succeed. When in fact, what was best for the team probably wasn't adding another receiver. And they, in all likelihood, and it remains to be seen, reached to get a guy like Kadarius Tony in the first round. But the reality is, um, right now, he's stuck playing with Kenny Galladay unless the Giants trade Galladay, which I don't know anyone who wants to take on Galladay's contract anytime soon. So at least for the next two to three years, realistically, He's going to be either second fiddle to Kenny Galladay, or he has to somehow break out beyond a guy who was the number one in Detroit for about three seasons. And that's going to be tough to do. I know your thoughts, Katz, on Galladay, that he's, you know, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you've shared your views on him being an overvalued 
uh, performer on the field that he's he's you know he's 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 flashed, but he's not as great as people like me make him out to be. But I think that Kenny Galladay has a serious challenge. If you are, if if there's maturity questions about someone's you know commitment to football, and they're on a team that doesn't have a quarterback who commands respect. And I don't mean Daniel Jones is not someone who deserves respect or even has the respect of his teammates, but he's not one of those veterans that people say, I'm playing for this quarterback. I'm playing for this team. The Giants right now are aimless. And when there's aimlessness, that's when you need players of high quality who can come in and bring a structure to the team. And Kadarius Tony is not contributing right now to structure. He's contributing a little bit to aimlessness by not showing up for these voluntary workouts, not showing that he's putting football first, even though it's voluntary. And I think the concern is going to be if when, whenever Sterling Shepard returns uh, from his injury, could Tony find himself kind of starting his, his rookie year all over again? Because he didn't really have a rookie campaign and he where he's learning the ropes um, at a time when he should be separating himself from the competition. Um, Katz, uh, as always, feel free to respond to that. And I want to go to one more receiver, Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas, who um, sat out last season, was hurt, um, had also acknowledged in a tweet to Calvin Ridley uh, that he was in that same kind of, you know, hole that uh, Ridley was in, uh, suggesting that uh, uh, perhaps mentally he was not where he wanted to be. Um, but the official line is that Michael Thomas was out last year because of injury, and he will return this year his uh, age 29 or age 30 season, I think he's still age 29, um, as potentially the number one. We're waiting to see what the Saints do in the draft. Um, they did some very savvy, a very savvy trade uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago to add some more draft collateral. Um, they might add a good young quarterback to support Jameis Winston and maybe replace Jameis Winston. Uh, they don't have Winston uh, on the hook for very much. I think it's uh, two years. Uh, I'm trying to remember if it's like 26 million, 28 million, something like that, which these days is small change for uh, a, a seasoned starter at quarterback. And then they have uh, uh, needs at receiver. And the question is, if, if the Saints draft a high-profile young wideout who can step right in and be an instant starter, what impact that has on a guy like Michael Thomas, who's never had to compete for targets in the Breeze era, the way that he might have to compete for targets if the Saints really upgrade a receiver. So throwing it to you, Katz, what are your thoughts on Michael Thomas? I've got him around, you know, uh, uh, w, low end WR2 right now in my head because I'm not willing to drop him too low because he's such a good pass catcher and because he could catch 100 balls if he is fed massively. Um, but that said, who knows, is is low is top 22 to 24 receiver too ambitious or is that about right or too conservative for you? I think he's someone that just has a really wide range of outcomes right now. Last season, Jameis Winston in his seven starts, I know he, this the second one, or the, sorry, his last start, he got hurt. So take this with a little bit of a grain of salt in terms of the numbers, but he averaged just 23 pass attempts per game. As a whole, the Saints attempted 504 passes. If we look at Drew Brees' career, this is someone who was regularly leading the league or, or, or near the league lead in pass attempts. Michael Thomas' target share 
I don't think it'll take that much of a hit because there's just nobody else there. Even if they draft someone, that player won't be as good as Michael Thomas. Not right away. In 2019, Michael Thomas had an absurd 33% target share. He's not getting there. But in 2020, in his his, uh, limited games played, he was still at 28%. I think he's going to be in that 27 to 30% range. The issue is 27, 30% of what? Because with Drew Brees, a 30% target share is something like you know, 180 targets. With Jameis Winston, that could be maybe 150. 120. And even it could be even less. Right. If, if, it's, if it's only 27%, then we could be looking at maybe 140, 130. That, those are still very, very lofty numbers. They're high target totals. But Michael Thomas has never been a man of efficiency. His career high in yards per reception is 12.4, which he did it as a rookie. He has always gotten there on volume. And this is someone I, I, I remember fading him in 2019, obviously, in retrospect, terrible idea, because I just I couldn't buy a, somebody who needed volume. I like volume. I want to get volume. But I want to know that if my receiver doesn't get 10 targets in a game, he can actually produce. Michael Thomas wouldn't know a splash play if he went on Splash Mountain. Okay, This, this guy just never has big plays. Every every touchdown he scores is is inside the twenty yard line. Everything is 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 close to the line of scrimmage and close to the end zone when he scores. Will he have that in New Orleans with Jameis Winston in a low volume passing attack, where there's nobody to take any pressure off him defensively in terms of uh, other other pass catchers? It's it's a it's a tricky situation. I like Thomas as the player. I still think he's good at age 29. I don't think he's close to done yet. I think he's got another two or three good years left in him. But we need to see how this offense is, is looking as we head closer toward draft season before we make any definitive statements on what we expect from Thomas. Yeah, in, in two weeks, we will have some clarity of whether Michael Thomas, um, his value has dropped or has remained constant. It probably won't go up from where it is now because there's too many question marks for a guy who hasn't seen much of the field the last two plus years. Um, And, uh, you know, and he has a new quarterback to boot. Um, And that kind of thing is not something where you can just say automatically, Thomas is getting back to where he was. At the same time, I think Thomas is at a point and the Saints team needs him. The Saints team is at a point where they need him to be a highly targeted guy. I don't think I don't think they're looking at this season saying Michael Thomas is going to catch 60, 70 balls. I think they know that they need to get the most out of Michael Thomas. Even if the Saints are not a playoff team, uh, if they're going to somehow be able to find a, a suitor, you know, a trade partner for him. They need to be able to demonstrate that Thomas is still the Thomas of old. Because if Thomas is just a generic receiver with Jameis Winston throwing to him, I I think that hurts the Saints in multiple ways. Um, So I see them feeding him immensely, especially as Alvin Kamara moves on. I think Alvin Kamara is 27 years old now. I can see Kamara's usage uh, uh, pull back a little bit. And I can see Michael Thomas... uh, eat into some of those uh, receptions and or carries that Kamara has been getting um, as they try to uh, pace Kamara and not overwork him so that he can get past this season. We saw some uh, uh, slowdown from him this past year. Uh, Defenses were stacking the box more. He was getting fewer yards 
before the first touch than he has throughout his career. And that is a concern. And I think Thomas is going to be utilized in a way that's going to make people happy. The big question is going to be, is it going to make people happy in, you know, in a way that's a, a throwback to even 2018? Or is it just going to make people happy that they didn't get sell low and they have someone who can get them 1,100 yards and eight touchdowns, which is really, I think, a realistic goal for someone like Michael Thomas going into this season. Um, any final thoughts, Katz? Uh, I think it's going to be a very, very fascinating NFL draft, given how deep this wide receiver class is. But without uh, any Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson level talent, at least from a prospect level, uh, so th- there could there could be as many as seven, eight, maybe even nine fantasy relevant wide receivers that we see from this class. And, and that will impact the other, the veterans already in the NFL, depending on where these guys land. So I'm really curious to see how that plays out. And and obviously our rankings and opinions on these players will all change once the draft comes and goes. So I'm looking forward to that. And I will, we'll certainly be back here in two weeks talking all about it. Yes, um, I'm looking forward to that. Keep in mind, one final thought. The Saints, um, as of today, you know, unless anything changes, they have two top 20 picks in the first round of the draft. There is a scenario where the Saints go big and land two impact receivers, and they just say, you know what? We're going all in on this season. They have a great defense. They have a great running game. Um, maybe they need some help on the line. I, I haven't checked recently to see what kind of holes they need to fill, but they're lacking at tight end. They're lacking at number two receiver. Watch and see what the Saints do. Any law, any any downside to Michael Thomas coming out of the draft is going to be a boon to Jameis Winston as long as the Saints don't take a quarterback. If they take a quarterback and a receiver, then it's wide open. And then it's really a crapshoot. What you know, any combination of Winston and that rookie quarterback and Thomas and that rookie receiver could shine. As Katz, you're saying, it's going to be a lot of wait and see at that point. Um, once again, thanks to Jason Katz, better known as Katz, for joining me as always. BJ Rudell, Pro Football Network. Find us at profootballnetwork.com. Have a great afternoon. We'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow.